Well, why don't you open your Bibles to Psalm 4610 to start, and then I'm going to give you a little update, some news. 4610, it's a familiar scripture, but I'm going to give you a new revelation, and we're going to look at the Hebrew roots of this verse, and I'm going to unlock a hidden meaning for you in Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. Hey, do I have a church that loves to learn the scriptures? All right, come on. Yes. And listen, I've been putting a lot of time aside to type out the best of the best Bible reading plans that I can so that you all can grow in your discipline of learning the Bible. And so we're going to put this slide up right now. I want you to grab your phones and do this. Try to take a picture of this QR code. If you're watching online, uh, our engagers, as we call them, our digital greeters are going to be posting the link. To, they are the best. I think we have, how many did, did Pastor Patrick say we... I think we have 60, 60 engagers across all of our platforms there to greet you and love on you digitally as well. Come on. And so here in the room, uh, go ahead and try to take a picture of this. It's going to open up to the version Bible. And then I want you to tap on that plan to start it right now so you can try to get this discipline of reading the word in your life. And then our digital greeters will post the links. We'll spam the chat. As my friend Isaiah says, well, we will spam the chat with the link to this Bible reading plan right now. So uh, go ahead and post that as well. Now, here's what it is. It is a 14-day Bible reading plan that version approved. So that way I can teach you everything I've ever learned about fasting. Now, I want to say this. You can find a lot of bad teaching on fasting online. You can find a whole Pentecostal charismatic, let's manipulate God and try to twist his arm to get what we want and treat him like a genie in the bottle, fasting teaching. Or you can get a whole bunch of reformed theology on fasting um, that almost deletes the nature of God as if he stopped responding to fasting. And so we only do it to create a desire from the bride and the bridegroom. But then there's this, I think the true interpretation of fasting is that God is somewhere in the middle of those things. And yes, he will respond to your fasting, but we don't fast for that. We fast from his response at the cross. And so we fast because he's already been good. We decrease so that he can increase in us. We remove distractions and barriers because he removed all distractions and barriers on the Via Della Rosa, on the way to take the cross for all of our sin. But we do know that the nature and the name of God does not change over time, which means if old covenant fasting produced revival, new covenant fasting comes from a place of revival. If old covenant fasting fasting actually produced repentance that changed a nation. The new covenant fasting is the acknowledgement that Jesus gave us resurrection power to change a nation. And so God doesn't change, but we are going on a journey of fasting. And I want to say with this Bible reading plan, I told our team, this will probably not chart. Now the relationship series, everybody's got a messed up relationship in need of healing, but fasting doesn't go viral. But if fasting goes viral, real revival will go viral. <laughs> Because if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will turn from their wicked ways, I, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their the land. And so we're, we are fasting as a church, but I'm going to talk to you in this sermon about the different ways that you can fast. But I want to tell you something. Uh-oh. Tell your neighbor, uh-oh. I got bad news for you. Uh-oh. 
Jesus did not say that fasting was optional. He actually used the language to his disciples. Hey, when you fast. You know, isn't that sneaky? You know sometimes he's Jehovah sneaky. <laughs> Jehovah sneaky. He was like, hey, when you, it's like your wife saying, hey, when you take out the garbage, can you make sure to put a new bag? You're like, what? I'm taking out the garbage. So it's like, hey, when you go to the grocery store, make sure to check the list. I'm saying, you're like, what? I'm going to the grocery store? Uh-oh. Jesus said, when you fast. So if you're a Christian, oh, and you've never fasted, you have not taken the elementary baby step of a true believer. And I say this in love, fasting is not an option. It's not commanded, it's demanded. See, Muslims are commanded to fast. It's demanded of us to do the will of God, we must fast. See, it's not a command, it's a demand. In other words, you are free to fast. Be careful how you use your freedom. See, you're free to fast. So here's the thing. I'm gonna, some of you are like, man, why did I come today? It's already fast. It's, all, it's already a, an hour time different. I'm tired. And now this homie's trying to take my food too. I'll slap it out of your, your hand. So I wanna show you though the power in fasting. And I believe that if, if I were to die right now on this stage and face God, I would be severely judged for the way in which I taught you how to be a true disciple. And if Jesus said, when you fast, but I'm a pastor and I got donuts in the back and I've got bagels in the back and I've got coffee, but I don't have a call to fasting, then I've made you incomplete in your discipleship. And so are you okay with me making you complete? All right, all right. I just wanna get that out of the way. So let's look at this. What if I told you that your weakness can be your strength? I wanna take a look at a very familiar passage, Psalm 46.10. Here's what it says. Let's read it together. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And we've interpreted this scripture through the Western lens of the English language and our cultural context because when you yell emphatically at your child to be still, that means stop moving. But if you were a Hebrew speaker and you read Hebrew and you looked at this Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. The phrase be still is derived from the Hebrew Rapha, which means to become weak and to let go. And essentially it means to surrender. See, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals my weaknesses. So be still and know that I am God is let go and allow yourself to become weak and then you will have a revelation of who I am. When you give in the offering, you're reducing the balance of your bank account and you're weakening your numbers to show God's strength in your finances. 
Oh, come on, somebody. One of my best friends has been struggling with cancer for over a year now. And as he physically grows weaker, he spiritually is strengthened because his dependence on God grows. As the cancer grows, his dependency on God grows. But I got good news. His faith is growing, too. And how many of you know God kills cancer? So, it shows, so here's the revelation. Be still and know is not stop moving. It's cease from striving. Woo! Be still and know that I am God. See, what if in an argument with your spouse, instead of trying to win the argument, you intentionally lost the argument because in surrender, you find the vindication and the validation of God. What, let me say it the way that Pastor Moses says it when you're in marriage counseling with her. She uses this phrase, choose to lose. What if I told you that when you begin to fly the white flag of surrender, that white flag is converted to the flag of Jesus Christ as you become an embassy of heaven. Only through surrender can your country be conquered. Only through surrender can your war-torn, ravaged mind, your pornographic, expletive-producing mind be converted into the thing that produces thoughts that are noble and lovely and pure and think on these things, the Bible says, but it's until you surrender your mind that you receive the mind of Christ. But an unsurrendered mind can never receive the mind of Christ because two kingdoms cannot stick. Oh. That's why sometimes we take some of you through deliverance. We get a quarter of way through your deliverance and then we tell you, get up, you must go home, you're not ready. And people say, what do you mean you're not ready? I, I don't understand, I'm ready for deliverance. No, no, you're not ready because the demons left the areas that you are in surrender but they remain attached to the areas that you have not surrendered. And so I cannot complete your deliverance because the barrier is not the demon and it's not the power of Christ. It's the power of your will unsurrendered before him. And so sometimes deliverance can't be completed, not because the cross didn't conquer it, but because you have not surrendered your will. It's the thing that stands in opposition with God. And most of us, we say the sinner's prayer, we even get our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We even attend church faithfully, but we've never fully surrendered. See, full surrender is something that I desire from all of you as your pastor. I desire that you would feel the feeling of hunger pains as you watch your friends feasting, but you go into famine and you push the plate away, not because your desire for food was removed, but rather a greater desire for God was replaced. And so oftentimes fasting is viewed as I will do it when the desire goes away, but rather fasting is the presence of a greater desire inside of you that says, I want revival more than I want a three-bedroom home and a driveway and a half acre lot. I want revival more than I want whatever I foolish stuff I'd waste my money on. I want revival more than I want the opinions or the applause of the people. And so it's not the absence of a desire. It's the presence of a greater desire. And so Christians think, well, I'll stop sinning when I stop feeling like sinning. No, you're going to want something more. You know, one of my favorite stories 
is the story that my pastor told years ago of doing the baptism of a young man. He took that young man and he went to go dunk him under the water, but he held him there. One 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000. Everybody's looking confused like, man, what kind of baptism is this? It's gonna turn into martyrdom real quick. He starts flailing around. The pastor holds him down longer. And all of a sudden he starts, now he's panicking, thinking like, what kind of like weird, sadistic thing is this? Finally, just a second beyond the moment of reasonability, the pastor pulls him up. <gasps> he takes a big breath. And he says, until you want God like you wanted air, you have not learned what it means to be a disciple. See, what happens is we go into baptism celebrating the fact that Jesus has saved us, but we must also celebrate that we get to join in his suffering and take up our cross with him, and we get to learn the ways of death with him. And you'll get a whole church screaming and clapping when you talk about the blessing of the Lord, but what if I told you that the blessing always comes through death, not around it? And we face that opposition and we say, God, please don't ask me to die. Please, God, don't. But see, Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, please, if it be your will. But he knew it was God's will. It was the human part of him that was saying, let this pass. It's the human part of us that says, get me out of this marriage. It's the, come on, somebody. Y'all ain't being real with me today. It's the human part of us that says, God, get me out of this church. I don't want to be in fellowship or covenant. I'd rather just watch a few clips on online. I, I, oh, here's a sermon. I'd rather have clips than covenant. You know, there's some people give me a sermon clip, but I don't want a covenant. And, and see, there's, there, you know, I'd rather have sex than actually have the covenant of marriage. I, come on, does somebody hear what I'm saying? We always go the easy route. I'd rather buy the food fully cooked, even if it's not good for me, than go home and make the food. And so what happens is when we bring that into the kingdom, we don't understand why you can't microwave your way to the discipline and it takes to cast real principalities and powers out of a region. And the way that you take a city is you raise up giant killers, but giant killers have a giant-sized faith, a giant-sized sacrifice, a giant-sized death to self, a giant-sized commitment, a giant-sized covenant, a giant's, come on, you, the way you kill giants, David was committed to the sling. He was covenanted to God's people. He had a giant-sized discipline. He became skillful in playing the instrument that he played. You don't grow in skill being a part-time player. You gotta become full-time obsessed with something. And what fasting does is to say, I'm gonna spend full-time hours in this commitment of fashioning my body into that which looks like a living sacrifice until the aroma of my life is this sweet-smelling savor before God. But you don't hear preaching like this anymore. But this is the same preaching Jesus of Nazareth. He said, hey, when you see them fasting, don't be like them because they want you to see that they're in pain. But he said, wash your face, anoint yourself, and when you fast, dignify yourself because you know that you are more than a conqueror. Fully surrender. Be still and know that I am God. Literally means cease from your striving. I love it. It literally says, become weak. Become weak so that you know my strength. I think the worst thing that you can do is try to bring your accolades before God. 
I think the worst thing that you can do is try to prove to God how worthy you are of the calling he placed on your life because you've got degrees. I think the worst thing that you can do is present to God all the relationships that you think prove that you're a person of status. I think the worst thing you can do is show God how many likes, comments, shares, and how good you are on social media. I think that's the worst thing that you can do because here's the thing. (laughs) You don't impress God with your power because he's the source of all true power. I'm trying to get in there and root out. You don't impress God with your power to be a mother to your children because he's the source of all power. You may impress your friends when you show them a facade of how, how, how clean your house is and how, how diligent you are to cook three meals a day and wear an apron and your husband comes in with a briefcase and a hat and a full suit. And, and, and I think, you know what I mean? Like, and you curate that for the world and you show them, but you don't impress God. You can fake people out, but you can never impress God because he's the source of all things good. He's the source of all power. So what happens is when you get a revelation of be still and know that I'm God, what you're actually saying is, God, I'm I'm admitting what you already know. (laughs) God, you got me. I'm not a good mom. Sometimes I'm so mad at my kids, I want to hurt them. God, you got me. I'm not a good husband. The algorithm of TikTok already figured out that I like women. God, God you got me. Um, I keep going back to tobacco because I haven't learned the revelation of the Holy Spirit for comfort. Uh, God, I keep going back to caffeine because I'm undisciplined in my sleep, but I'm also undisciplined in reading the word and in prayer and in a lot of other areas. And so, and so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let's have an outing party. (laughs) Let's all out ourselves now. Because on judgment day, we're all coming out of the closet anyways. And so surrender, watch this, watch this, please watch this. Surrender is not the absence of surrender, but rather the proper placement of it in our lives. You're surrendered to lust. Anytime lust tantalates and, and, and begins, you're surrendered to it. You always give it. You're surrendered to, deba- to tobacco. It, there's never a lack of surrender in your life. This is the revelation God showed me as I was looking at, at this, this, the text. And we're, I've got more to share with you, but just stay with me. Be still and know that I'm God. You're already surrendered to, de- to tobacco. You're already surrendered to alcohol. You're, because anytime something happens in your life that's hard, it's the first place you run. But David said, your name is a strong tower. Whenever I face difficulty, I will run into the strong tower. And see, what happens is I know where you're surrendered by what you run to. God, I want to be surrendered. He's like, you are, but will you surrender to me? God, I I just want to surrender my life. He's like, no, your life is surrendered. It's just not surrendered to me. And a house divided cannot stand. I, I, I was telling people that I've been casting demons out for a long time, but I've noticed that as my surrenderedness increases, I become a greater conduit for the power of God and deliverance is getting easier and it's getting bigger and more ubiquitous and larger. And it's not because Christ's power is growing, 
But as I continue to reveal and expose my weaknesses, it's increasing through me. See, the more, if you want to operate in the power of God, don't increase how much you're fronting. Increase how much you're admitting. <laughs> oh, Lord. Listen, this is not an American sermon. I'll tell you that much. This would do very well in Africa. This would do very well overseas. This is, they, would, they would love this in Ukraine, wouldn't they? I got more for you. Can I give you guys three ways to fast? We're going to start with, but now that I set the framework, now we can go deeper with the last 10 minutes. Number one is this, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. We talked about it last week. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. We have a water fast, a water fast. Now listen, the whole world has discovered that fasting has benefits of longevity. And matter of fact, one of the ways that I've lost over 35 pounds in the last three months is fasting. Not extended fast, but intermittent fasting, just going longer periods of time. Isn't it amazing that when you make your body suffer, your body responds with more strength? You go into the gym and you create resistance and resistance creates muscle. You go longer durations without food and your mitochondria begin to assimilate to a greater capacity to metabolize energy and your body becomes more efficient. You go 72 hours without food and your body goes into autophagy and begins to eat up all of its dead old cells and then begins to create new ones. If, oh, watch this. If, if just three days water only can cause you to go into autophagy, which is the scientific term for your body eating its own broken and damaged cells, what's happening to you spiritually? <laughs> Here's a question. Have you ever gone into spiritual autophagy? See, there's some things that when you begin to go into a water-only fast, there's some things, some old things. Hey, can I tell you I've, gone, I've grown a sense, and Julie and I talk about this, only the old Pentecostals understand this. I can tell when people are operating off of old anointings. I can feel it. It's like, no, no, you learned that a long time ago and you've been rehearsing something you learned. You need a new anointing for a new season. And I can tell, some, sometimes you're operating off of a prayer life you used to have. You're operating off of fasting, and I know this is a convicting message, but man, how many times have I done you wrong? Church, anytime I've taken us on a journey, there's been major fruit and breakthrough on the other side of it. So just trust your pilot as I'm steering the ship today. Come on, we started this journey in January financially, and we've seen the most financial provision in your lives than ever before, and that was a huge risk. And I know you didn't like the uncomfortable conversation of you with money, but let's talk about you with food. This is bad. God, can you tell that the Lord convicted me first before I ever preached it to you second? Food started to become a source of comfort for me. I ate every single time I had a hard day. And in the last six years since planting this church, I've had a bad day every day. <laughs> I'm not kidding. My wife, I won't tell on her but she likes me big. <laughs> and so I had two factors. Julie wanting to be married to Big Papa and my life being so hard that me and Ronald McDonald's were, were best friends. I was like, what's up, Ron? You know what I want, son? 
But that's, there's something about that water fast that says, I was going to food because I was stressed out, but I've gotta take some time and say, God, I'm going to you. And it hurts, it hurts. Champions are willing to go through what they suffer to obtain that which they love. That's the formula. On a water fast, I love this, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse three, we have King Jehoshaphat. Hey, how many of you are the king of your own house, right? You're the king at your job. All of us are the king somewhere. All of us are the leader somewhere. Jehoshaphat was the leader of, Jeru- of uh, Israel, rather. And at this time, he, he says this, I am so in a position of impossibility that I don't know what to do. I love his response to confusion. His response to confusion was prayer and fasting. See, when he was confused, he didn't know what to do, but he said, I'm calling a fast and and there's gonna be clarity. We see that also in the book of Acts when there was confusion among the apostles about how to advance the church and they said, let's call a fast. We'll know what to do. There's clarity that comes through a fast. And so Jehoshaphat says, we're gonna fast. Let me just tell you, if you're confused right now about where you should live, where you should work, who you should marry, how you can reconcile or heal your marriage, your relationship. If you're confused about the direction, can I tell you that a fast is one of the most powerful things that you can do to bring clarity into confusion? I'm telling you, is it you talking or the food talking? Is it you talking or the tobacco talking, the alcohol talking, your friends talking? There's different, so water fasts are very powerful. And now here's what King Jehoshaphat did. And if you read further, this is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now go down to the bottom of this chapter. He's doing the fast. Now watch what the Lord tells him. It doesn't make no sense. Put all of the singers at the front of the army. And when you put all the singers at the front of the army, they will begin to sing this song. And the lyrics of that song was, we give thanks. Now let me just tell you, Putting singers as your first line of defense is militarily stupid. Can you imagine if we were headed into Ukraine for a mission trip and I said, hey, we're going into enemy lines. All right, V1 worship, you all go first. Should I take a gun? No, take your bass, take your guitar. What good is this gonna do against rockets? But see, the foolishness of God to the world is wisdom in disguise. And see, see, sometimes you think, well, the only way I can win this war is by fighting a weapon with a weapon. But the weapons of our warfare, oh, now do you see a revelation, are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not human. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so what begins to happen? They, King Jehoshaphat puts the singers first because he understands that worship is warfare. They're all fasting, they're praying, and they begin to lift up this song. And I love it because they worshiped before the victory. They said thank you as a lyric in the song before the victory. That's a revelation of faith. Says thank you God, my house is on the way. Thank you God, my husband is getting to know you and turning into a man of God. Thank you God that our church is expanding into buildings across every region. You thank God while it's on its way as if it's on its way and that activates faith that moves mountains and opens up the realm of possibility to produce it in your life. 
And so Jehoshaphat was confused, but he got clarity when he fasted. He put the singers up at the front. They begin to worship, and what looked like foolishness, it said confusion went into the enemy's camp, and the nations that were drawn on every side begin to kill each other. How many of you know that the confusion that the devil placed in your life, if you'll begin to fast and worship, you will put that confusion back in his camp. How many of you know that you can confuse your enemy? How many of you know that you can actually use the weapons of their warfare to take them out? When David defeated Goliath, he took Goliath's sword and cut his head off with his own sword. What if you made fear afraid? What if you made confusion confused? What if you made doubt, doubt the assignment Satan gave him against your life? You're supposed to be fighting with the weapons that have been used to fight you. Does somebody hear me this morning? That's a water fast. Now you can go one day Water only, no food. Try it. You can go, yeah, you could do a day probably. Consult your medical professionals, but don't go to a doctor who ain't saved. (laughs) That's a water fast. Some of you probably can't do water only more than a day if you're new to fasting. That's okay. Start somewhere. Turn to your neighbor and just tell them, start somewhere. Okay, let's do another one. This is called the Daniel fast. Daniel chapter 10, verse 3. This is what Daniel said. Now listen, everybody wants to be Daniel. When we do the little coloring books in our Sunday school, Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel, we got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the the fiery furnace. You know what's funny? Let me just stop here. When I just told you the story about confusion being in the camp of the enemy, and them all killing each other. If you don't read 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you could preach a whole sermon about worship, but delete out fasting. See, a lot of times when preachers preach the Bible, they delete out the parts that they think are too hard for you or you won't do it. And I'm I'm thankful to be the kind of pastor who's saying, no, what produced that victory wasn't just the worship, it was the fasting with the worship. See, matter of fact, later on in the Bible, when you go down to the New Testament, I believe it's in Chronicles, no, uh, Corinthians, talks about prayer and fasting together, even when you're in a married context. Talks about, it joins those two together. Some demons don't come out, but by prayer and fasting. And so here's another one, the Daniel fast. Daniel chapter 10, verse three. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. So I didn't eat any meat, any meat, nor wine nor pleasant bread. Now, when I read that, I was like, that's how I know that God used a human divinely inspired because only a human would put pleasant in front of bread. And if you're keto, you know what I'm talking about. Pleasant bread. It's like he said, I ate no pleasant bread, nor put any flesh in my, neither did I anoint myself at all. All three whole weeks were fulfilled. And so the Daniel fast is simply this. In the abundance of food, I will be anti-consumeristic. Because see, now watch this. Food strengthens me, but I am going to be still and know that he's God. I am going to intentionally weaken my body to show God's strength through my body. This is the way of the kingdom, y'all. 
And so he was in the abundance of the best food in Babylon, and yet he said, I'm gonna eat vegetables only because I'm gonna be missing essential amino acids. Come on, scientists. I'm gonna be missing essential um, proteins, and yet I will excel beyond everyone around me because, why? I've learned that making myself weak enables God to be strong through me. See, this is the way of the kingdom. Now this last one I'm gonna give you, and this is this, just the three major ways to fast because we're fasting from now till Easter. And Easter Sunday, we're gonna be sitting at the space of Westbury together. And I believe people are gonna fly out from all around the world to come for Easter here in New York. And you are gonna see the fruit of your fasting. You are gonna see God's power on display. The last one is this, fasting from other things. First Corinthians, yep, there it is. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse one through five, talks about redirecting your intention. Now, how many of you went to the marriage conference? Anybody? It is good that you have sex with your spouse and all God's people said. Say it louder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But many Christians say, well, you can't fast. They try to say that fasting is only food. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse one through five says, there's a redirecting of your attention. And sometimes you take attention away from sexual activity with your spouse so that you can redirect your attention towards God through prayer and through fasting. And so some people say, you can't fast social media. Are you giving attention to it? Then you can fast it. Some are like, oh, you, you, can't, you can't fast, you know, whatever, um, sugar. We got a group of our women failing that fast on a daily basis. Pray for them, y'all. Come on. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there is monk fruit sweetener. <laughs> and I know that for a lot of you, you're like, man, this has been the most supernatural and the most super practical I've ever heard him preach. But your breakthrough lives where those two converge. See, some of you think that you're just gonna become this spirit and just float around. I'm a child of God now. Devil, go. Mike couldn't do it, but I can. Go. <laughs> you think that you're just gonna, but here's the thing. It's taking your body, beating it into submission, and going the way of the cross, and saying, I, just like our Heavenly Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Would you stand to your feet with me? Because it's not going to ever feel good. But if you do what you feel like doing, you're going to end up in more bondage and feel worse. See, I used to think that doing certain things that I felt like were the right thing were going to make me feel better, but I actually felt worse. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had that moment of clarity after you actually satiate the desire of the sin and you have that moment where you say, why did I do this to myself? I will tell you fasting is the opposite of that. See, oh, come on. I'm trying to give you a revelation. See, when you sin and you fulfill the desire of that sin, you have this moment of guilt and shame. But when you fast and you fulfill the desire of the Spirit, you get a moment of clarity. You get this moment where you're like, wow, I'm proud of myself. I'm doing it. I'm stepping in. You know, it's like, 
you begin to increase in momentum. And this is my prayer for you, that you begin to build momentum in your life. May you step into every day as a momentum building day. I didn't lose 35 pounds in 35 minutes. I didn't lose it in 35 days. It took me months, but it was momentum building. And so what God wants you to do, come on church, is build a momentum. The reason why I started with a seven day Bible reading app, now a 14 day Bible read, I want you to pick up momentum. It's time to go on a streak. Come on, there's been no loss of momentum for lust in your life. Every day you lust. There's been no loss of momentum of spending your money the wrong way. Every day you spend it in a way you shouldn't. I want to turn the tables because I hear the Lord saying, the first will be last, the last will be first. He's reversing. Come on, I'm releasing the word reverse over your life right now. Reversal, reversal. Everybody in your family died prematurely, but the reverse says that you're going all the way, that you're living the longest. You're gonna be Enoch. Come on, somebody. There's a reversal that's happening. You always give in, but you're never gonna give in. The reversal is here. Come on, you always give in to your soulish realm, but the reversal says my spirit is gonna lead, not my feelings, not by sight, but by your spirit. Come on, somebody. Let's just worship one more time. Come on, lift it up. Lift it up, great are you, God. Come on, make up your mind, the reversal is here. It's your breath.